0: Is this better, Andy? Okay. I was told by Andy that people couldn't hear me in the back last time I made an announcement. Uh, but I just wanted to get up real quick and just kind of talk to you guys. A couple of quick announcements. There are some um, DVDs and books and things that are in the back office that can be signed out on loan for people to watch or to read. Um, we would just encourage and ask that if you do sign them out, that you sign them out on the sign-up sheet back there. That would be much appreciated. Um, Also, we have an adult dinner night out tomorrow night at Boreo's at 6 p.m. There's a sign-up sheet out there. We'd love for anybody who'd like to come to join us. That would be wonderful. And also, we have um, a youth conference coming up. um, It's called the Encounter Conference. It's at Redeemer um, Church in Utica. And it is November 8th and 9th is when we're going to be going So our youth, we have a great group of kids that are coming, and any kids who are not already signed up, if you'd like to come, please see me or Pastor Frank Jr. or any of the kids, Taylor, Madison, Frankly, any of the kids that have gone. They'd love to talk to you about it. Um, But anyways, next Sunday after church at 1230, we're doing a spaghetti dinner that is going to be hosted by the youth to serve you um, as a fundraiser to help offset some of the costs. We will be staying in a hotel, the conference tickets, that kind of thing. We'd love for you to join us 12.30 next Sunday right here for a spaghetti dinner. $5 a person, $20 for a family of four or more. Um, and also, too, I would just encourage that we're collecting bottles and cans. That's something we do all the time. But the bottles and cans that come in right now, all the money is also going to go towards the youth as a part of the fundraiser to offset some of the costs for this conference. So any bottles or cans, we'd welcome them to come right into the church. And thank you so much.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Is this too loud? A little loud, a little yowed for me. Okay, that's perfect, right there. Okay. Uh, you know, right off, I want to say something um, because I don't want you to be distracted. I'm having treatment for basal cells in my forehead, and I want to tell everyone because people are looking at me and they're going like this: "How you doing?" You know, and they keep looking, and so that's what all this is. Okay. I don't have the plague or anything like that. I'm just having basal cells treated. Okay, if you want to open your Bibles with me, we're in Leviticus 18. You know, I just want to mention our, our men's retreat was over the top. It was really just so fantastic. What we're praying about, and you can be praying with us, is the possibility sometime maybe in January or February having a couples retreat at the same place. And... uh there is a, a one of the buildings there called the Galilee, and it's set up for couples. You know, you, each bedroom has its own bath and that kind of thing. So I really encourage you to think about it. And our couples retreat isn't like you think. It's not, it's not like the seven steps to a happy marriage. You know why? Every marriage is different. It really is. You, there's no one way you can explain what a good marriage is. Every marriage is different. And so we have a, a whole idea of how we're going to... Uh, you know, set this up. But be praying. We don't even know if the Lord is leading us to do it yet. Be praying about it. And if you're interested, interested we'll be putting a, a sign-up sheet when we're ready to start um, figuring out whether we're going to have it or not. Okay? Does that make sense? Okay. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name and how thankful we are for the salvation that we share together. Without you, we have nothing. With you, we have everything. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that your Holy Spirit would come and minister to us this afternoon and that you would use me as your instrument, as your servant, Lord, that I might be able to break open your word in such a way that it ministers to each one here. And so now come, Father, by your Holy Spirit, and, and make yourself known to us through your word, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you ever think of how simple, peaceful, and joyful life would be if we would simply take him at his word. You know we always think well. Maybe the word of God applies here. And this is all the word of God to man. And so the reality is. If we would simply take him at his word. Study his word. And allow it to be applied to our lives. Life would be so simple. So joyful. So, so peaceful. Doesn't mean you wouldn't have problems. But you'd have peace through the problems. Now. In Leviticus uh, 18, I want to let you know right off the bat, I'm not going to be reading all of it because it's very uncomfortable. But it's God's Word. I I actually tried to work it so uh, Pastor Frank Jr. had this portion, but it just didn't didn't work out. But anyway, it's a a portion uh, that's God's Word. And I will be reading the first five verses because that is the catalyst for what we're going to be getting into and the rest of it. But the reality is that... God told Moses to teach the children of Israel this uh, because they were going to be exposed and tempted by all these, you know, awful kinds of sin. So um, in Leviticus, if you want to open your Bibles, if you don't have them open already, to Leviticus 18 and verses 1 through 5, I'm going to read right now. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, now, I want you to notice something. How many times in these short five verses God speaks of himself as being Lord, as being almighty, and how many times in this portion He spe- it says you. He's speaking to us. It's very personal. So the Lord God said to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God according to the doings of the land of Egypt where you dwelt. You shall not do according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do nor walk in, in, the, uh, in their ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which um, if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. And so we have to understand that God was bringing them out of Egypt and he was taking them into Cana. And both the Egyptians and the Canaanites had very perverted practices that God was telling them, I don't want you to enter into these. I want you to stay away from these because I am the Lord your God. And you're to be a separate people. You're to be different. And we have to understand, brothers and sisters, the greatest witness that we have is not all the knowledge that we possess, is not all the techniques we have of evangelizing. The greatest witness that we have is ourselves, is our life, is the way we live. And that's the reason it's so important to study the Word of God because it is the roadmap to living a godly and holy life. And so we realize as we look at this portion that something that I think we're all aware of is sexual sin is always the outcome of any nation or peoples that turn their back on God and no longer follow his word. I shared this, I think, a few weeks ago, and many people are surprised by it. But if you study uh, history, and you know, especially the Roman Empire, you'll find at one time they were a very moral people. In fact, they had penalties for anyone who was sexually immoral. And then by the end of the Roman Empire, it was absolutely wild. And that's the way it seems every nation goes. And it's interesting, except for revival, our nation would have gone down this path many years ago. You know, we have uh, the term that we use considering the 1890s, and they called it, they called it the gay 90s, and not in the way you're thinking. It was just happy, you know, the gay 90s. But it was really going down a path of, of sexual immorality. And then you had the revivals, you know, of, of Finney and Moody and like that that were sweeping in even into our country, and it prevented it. And then you had the 20s, and you remember the, well, you don't remember, either do I. I just read about it in history, but you had the flappers, and you had all that, and everything was going wild again. And then you had World War I, and then you also had the revivals of the 50s, great revivals that went through the country. Then the same thing was happening. You got into the 70s, things were going crazy, going you know outrageously out of hand in our country, and then you had the Jesus Movement which Calvary Chapel was considered, if you study church history books, Calvary Chapel was at the forefront of the Jesus movement, and it stopped that kind of immorality from sweeping through the country. But we haven't had anything since then, and that's the reason I believe our nation is getting to the place it is, our world is getting to the place it is. But we can't be surprised because the Word of God and the Lord has shown us clearly through His Word That before he takes his church out of the world, the world's going to be ripe for judgment. So before the rapture, the world's going to be ripe for judgment. And that's where we are right now, which the one encouraging thing is, is it causes us to lift up our heads, as Scripture says, because our redemption is drawing near. Jesus is coming for his church. Now, um, man, we have to understand, unchecked will always take what God made to be beautiful and perverted. That's what man does. And this portion is telling us not to substitute one evil lifestyle for another evil lifestyle. We're not to be either like the Egyptians nor like the Canaanites. And so we have to ask ourselves, how did everything get to the, way, the way it, it has gotten? You know, when we think of sexuality, you have to understand that is God's wedding present to a couple, to a man and to a woman. It's his wedding present. And so consequently, any time it is taken outside of those confines, it will eventually become perverted. And it will spiral down worse and worse and worse. Now, let me read to you from Romans 15.4. And it says, everything that was written in the past was written for our learning. Everything, even portions of Scripture like this. But we have to understand, what you learn means nothing until you put it into practice. I remember years ago before, many, many years ago, before I was called into the ministry and I was teaching at Horseheads High School. I don't know if any of you know where that is. And I was teaching at Horseheads High School. And when I was teaching, I was assigned, we'd cover a chapter on smoking. And I used to, you know, tell the kids, I'd show all the diagrams about how it affects the alveoli, you know, and then eventually it goes into the, tra- you know, all that kind of stuff, how bad smoking was. And then I'd go in the faculty room and light up. I used to, at that time, i probably smoked maybe a pack and a half, two packs a day. But here's the point. What I was teaching, I believed it. I knew it was bad for me. Then I'd go in and light up. But the reality is, I didn't own what I was teaching until I came to that place of realizing. You know what? If I really own this, I've got to make whatever changes are necessary. You know what I'm saying? In order to avoid me having all the negative effects of tobacco, and I did. And it's been—I don't even know how many years. More years than I know—that um, I haven't smoked cigarettes or anything. <laughs> I don't want to. I haven't smoked cigarettes. Oh, what is he smoking? You know? No, I don't smoke anything at all. <laughs> And um, so the point I'm making, it's it's not enough to study Scripture and to learn from it. We have to be willing to apply it to our lives. Now, verses 6 through 30 in this portion, which I will not read. read it when you go home. And um, uh, I usually do, but I'm, I'm staying away from it as far as reading it. It's all about incest, bestiality, and the offering of our children into the fires of Moloch. That's what it's all about. And so we have to understand sexual sin has always been one of Satan's greatest tools. No other sin involves the flesh like sexual sin does. In fact, if you want to turn with me to First Corinthians, it's worth making sure you have this uh, underlined in your Bible. First Corinthians chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six. go to verse 18. 1 Corinthians 6.18. And it says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We're His. It belongs to Him. But before I get into what I'm going to be sharing with you this morning, I want you to understand that there are many people that get caught in some of these sins, either as a victim or as a participant get caught in these kinds of sins, and you have to understand there is forgiveness and there is cleansing and purification by the Holy Spirit. Understand that. It makes no difference. Whatever you have done, God will forgive you and cleanse you and purify you. And sometimes it's a process, but God will do it because he's a God of love. And one of the things in in reading this is I can't help asking myself, how in the world did our society get to where we are? How did we get to this place where immorality is the norm? And anyone who speaks against the immorality of our nation, they're committing hate crime. How can that be? If you're a Christian, you're a hateful person. If you criticize Christians, you're an intellect. I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's, everything's gotten upside down. But how this happened is what we call gradualism. Satan is patient, attempting us into evil. And let me share with you um, what gradualism is. If you take a frog and drop it in, I mean, you a know, big, fat, full-sized frog, and you drop it into an open pot of boiling water, it'll jump right out. If you take that, take that same frog and you put it in a pot of cool water and turn the heat on under it in your stove, the frog's going to swim around in the cool water. It's going to get warmer and warmer. He just keeps swimming around being really happy. And the next thing you know, the water starts boiling and he's dead. That's gradualism. You know, It's kind of like when you uh, first get in your tub. It's like, oh, this is hot. And then by the time you're in it for a little bit, you've got to turn the hot water on, warm it up a little bit. That's gradualism. I'm just trying to make the point is that Satan knows better than to try to shove us into something that's really awful. Gradually. Sin will always take you further than you intended to go. Always. Always. And we have to understand that. Now, if you think of the moral state of our nation that we're in, we have to realize, according to this law of gradualism, It didn't just happen overnight. And, um, (laughs) you know, sin in our nation becomes progressively worse and worse and worse. There's nothing you can even think or imagine that you're not capable of finding expression in, if you so desire. Because man is never satisfied with his sin. Once he's conquered one sin, he's ready for another. Once he's become used to one sin, he wants to go deeper. That's what we have to understand. In the 60s, we had the slogan. Those of you who are old enough might remember this. Make love, not war, man. Remember that? I was in the Army in the 60s. Make love, not war, man. And, uh, you know, when I was in the Army, we were not allowed to wear our uniforms to travel because there was so much animosity against the military. When I first started college as a veteran, I was not allowed to live on campus because I was a veteran. Isn't that crazy? But anyway, 60s, make love, not war. In the 70s, we had the, hey, if it feels good, man, do it. Remember that? Well, some of you do. And in the 90s, we had the slogan, you know, don't tell, don't ask. Don't ask, don't tell. In other words, do whatever you want to do. Just keep it to yourselves. Now in the time we're living in, guess what? There's no limitations. Whatever you want to do is fine. Just, Just do it. As a matter of fact, anyone who tells you what you're doing is wrong, they're wrong. They're full of hate and animosity. But the thing they don't understand is that any one of us who shares the love of God with other people, we're not doing it to be mean or to put them down. It's because we love them. God has an unbelievable promise for those who belong to him. But yet we are around people all the time who are caught up in these kinds of sin. But the thing we have to remember is this, brothers and sisters. This is so important. We talked about this at the men's retreat. It's not up to you to change people. It's not up to you. You share the love of God with them. You share the word with them. Because anytime we go around, you know what you're doing is wrong. You're going to go to hell. They look at us and, and they, this guy's out of his mind. But if you just show God's love, and you, and you know, and just encourage people, and as you have opportunity, break open the Word. Let the Holy Spirit do the work. There's not one person here who has been born again of Pastor Frank. Every single one of you here have been born again of the Spirit. And he, the Spirit of God, is the only one that can change the heart, whether it be unto salvation or victory over certain sins. We have to trust the Lord. Now, one of the things that we have to realize is that uh, many of these sins that we're speaking of, there's nothing new under the sun, Scripture tells us, and you don't have to look at it right now. But in Second Samuel chapter 13, verses 11 through 14, we find that even David's son Ammon committed incest with his sister Tamar. And he was very severely punished for it. In Isaiah 5, in verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness. And don't we have that today? Hey, you know, everything's... You know, this is going to sound really corny to you, and probably uh, maybe Nick and Annette will be the only ones who know what I'm talking about. Well, Joni might remember too. But you remember the Kate Smith show? Any of you remember the Kate Smith? When the moon comes over the mountain. You <laughs> the rest of you are looking at me like, <laughs> it's an old person thing. But Kate Smith, was a, uh, she had a variety show. And she, she was a, a great singer, and she was like super moral. And I can remember my grandmother saying, "There's noth- nothing decent on TV anymore, but the Kate Smith show." And I think if she saw, if she somehow could come back, she was born in the 1880s. If she somehow could come back and sit in front of a TV today, she would have another heart attack. I mean, she'd be like, "Ah, how did we get there? How did we get from Kate Smith to..." So much of what's on TV today, it's absolutely amazing. It's astounding. And uh, in Romans 12, 9, it says, "Love, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. And that's what we need, need to do. We need to abhor what's evil. But I'm afraid that even in the church, even in me, even in my heart, I'm not pointing fingers at anyone. I'm I'm saying this is our problem. We've gotten to a place where we don't abhor evil. We watch it. How did we get there? And once again, you can't go telling people, you know, you know what? If you're really a good Christian, you need to go home and burn your TV. No, you know, don't do that. That'll pollute the environment. We need to take your TV and put it in the dumpster, you know. But the point is. That's not the way anything like that should work. It should always be the Holy Spirit working in the hearts and lives of people. Now, this was shocking to me. I'm not going to get into any detail. But if you do any research on incest in this nation, it's becoming acceptable. How could it be? Gradualism is becoming acceptable. And what this is telling us is the church needs to wake up and shine the light of Jesus Christ brightly in this nation. Now, I believe that in our nation, in our world today, there there's something very different than there ever has been in history. Because you always had light, the light of Christ, and you always had the darkness of this world and Satan, then there is always this big gray area that many people were operating in and some were were, you know, motivated over towards the the dark side it sound like a star wars we're motivated over to the dark side and some were motivated over to the light i don't think there's a gray area anymore i think people are either walking in the light of jesus christ or they're walking in the ways of the world i think that's the way it is and so we have to understand for us to let our light shine is so important in the times you know in which we're living now i believe i really do there might be one last great revival. But I don't think think it's going to be like the revivals of the past that changed countries, that changed nations. I think it's just going to be a revival of people being saved before Jesus Christ comes for his church. I think there's going to be one last revival because the world is ripe for judgment. And understand that the whole reason that Jesus is taking his church out of the world is because his judgment is coming upon the world. And his judgment is coming not because he's an evil, angry God. His judgment is coming because sin is abhorrent to him. And the fact is that he gives us every opportunity to commit our lives to Christ, to be born again, to be filled with the Spirit. Because here's the thing, and I'll tell you right off, there's nothing... You have done that I didn't do. There's nothing that you struggle with that I don't struggle with. But the point is, we need to struggle. I love the verse of Scripture that says, you have not yet struggled to the shedding of blood. It doesn't mean you literally go around and shed blood, but it's talking about just pour your heart and life into it. We need to struggle, you know, against sin. Now, um, what are we to do now, Today? Let me read to you from uh, Romans chapter six and verses twelve through fourteen Romans six twelve through fourteen therefore, do not let sin reign in your in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desire. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness listen to verse 14 for sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law but you're under grace now understand that last part is so important but you're not under the law you're under grace that's why sin should not be your master well what does that mean what it means is if we're trying to stop sinning on our own and, and trying to find our own righteousness and our own you know, forgiveness and cleansing, you'll never find it. But we're under grace. We're under the grace of God. And so no matter what sin you've committed, what's my favorite verse? Right? right? First John 1.7, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so the reality is you're not going to have certain sins, certain besetting sins that you struggle with. We all have certain sins that we struggle with. And I want you to know this. There's not going to be one time where you say, okay, God, forgive me my sin. And then you turn around and you fall to it again and say, well, I guess I'm done for because I already asked God to forgive me my sin. And he did, and I've fallen to it again. Well, one of my other favorite verses that you guys all have heard me quote so many times in Proverbs says, though a righteous man. Now notice it's talking about a righteous man. Though a righteous man fall, seven times he rises again. But the wicked fall by calamity. The point is, even as a righteous person, you're going to fall. But he, you get back up. Though a righteous man fall, he rises again. You get back up. Say, Jesus, I really messed up. Forgive me. Let your grace cover me. I'm going to move on. I used to tell people... And I was one of those weird – well, I've always been weird. I still am. But one of those weird guys, I didn't start smoking until I was being discharged from the Army and Clearing Post. Isn't that crazy? I mean, usually you start smoking when you're 12 or something like that. And, and I smoked uh, you know, after I was discharged right through college and even when we're first married. And when I really felt the Lord wanted me to give up tobacco, I used to tell people quitting tobacco is the easiest thing in the world. I quit every single Monday. Did you ever do that? Well, Lord, with your help, I'll never smoke again. And then Tuesday comes. I'll just have one. Just one cigarette today. Then, oh, you guys probably, any of you who've gone through quitting tobacco, you might know what I'm talking about. Then you go through a thing. I'm taking all the cigarettes out of this pack except for four cigarettes. I'm going to have four today. Then you buy another pack, you know. It wasn't until I came to a place of crying out to the lord and saying lord i am i'm, I'm a, a slave to tobacco i just can't get rid of it i need your help and i really came to that place of saying i'm never going to smoke again the same thing with drinking i had a pretty serious drinking problem too i was what you might call a um, happy drunk i always got happy and i only drank on weekends i took my work very seriously But from the time i come home Friday until I would go back to teaching Monday, I was drunk the whole time. And the same thing. I thought, well, I'm going to stop drinking Boilermakers. I don't know if any of you know what that is. It's a bottle of beer and a juice glass of whiskey. I'm going to stop drinking Boilermakers. I'll just drink beer. I just drank more beer. Then I said, you know what? I'll just drink wine because I don't even like wine that much. And I became a wino. And it wasn't until I came to a place where I said, "Lord, I have to stop cold turkey. I can't drink any of these alcoholic beverages. Help me." And he did. And I'd like to tell you, it was just the easiest thing in the world. It wasn't. But anything that is worth anything requires some kind of struggle or hard work. Anything. You know, whether you're trying to master some sport or some game or whatever it might is, might be, it's hard work. I know my grandsons work really hard at these video games. And I'll tell you what, they've mastered them. You can't even – I'm just joking, guys. They're all sitting in the back. But you understand the point that I'm making. And so we have to realize that God is there to give us the victory. But the reality is it's only by his grace. Because you fall, you get back up. You fall, you get back up. But every time you're taking two steps forward and one step back, you're still taking one step forward. Right? And you're going to come to that place of having victory in the Lord. God is is just so good. Um, In Hebrews 13.4, it says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterers and all sexually immoral. 1 Peter 2.11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. I'll tell you that we have a great example in Scripture of how to have victory over these kinds of sin, and it's Joseph. And I'm going to be reading to you from Genesis 39, verse 12, but let me share something. At this point, Joseph is a young man. I know a lot of times people say he was probably just a teenager. No, he's probably a young man like in his 20s or whatever. And here he is at full maturity, and all the desires of manhood are in him. It tells us in Scripture he was a really good-looking guy, and he was a slave to Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife noticed his good looks. And so here she comes to him and says, lie with me. Well, think about it. He's away from his own nation, he's, he's in, in you know, captivity, and you know, like, hey, well, nobody knows, he knew, and he knew his God would know. And so in, in uh, Genesis 39:12 she caught him by his cloak and said, "Come to bed with me." But he left his cloak in her hands and he ran out of the house. And understand, it cost him something. He went from being the head chief servant in Potiphar's house to being in prison. It cost him. But he ran. He fled from this kind of temptation. And brothers and sisters, we have to flee. And if somehow we get caught up and pulled back in, get up and flee again. That's what the Word of God is telling us. The thing we have to understand is sometimes our children will say to us, Maybe we say to our spouse or our spouse says to us, and maybe we even say to ourselves, don't you trust me? Well, when it comes to sexual sin, we shouldn't trust anyone. We shouldn't even trust ourselves because it is such a strong temptation for people to fall into. You consider how many people had that said, oh, I never thought that would happen to me. I never thought that would happen to me well it's because you allow yourself to be in a situation that you shouldn't allow yourself to be in maybe we've be, we've become as a nation as a society too modern for our own good it's so important for us to stand in the word of god and to remove anything that would cause us to fall scripture says if your and it doesn't mean literally it's making a point if your eye causes you to sin pluck it out if your hand causes you to sin Cut it off. What the point it's making is, is, is if you see something or you're looking in a particular direction or, or at someone or something and it causes you to sin, cut that all off. If you put your hand to something that isn't good for you and it's causing you to sin, cut it off. Because we have to realize Second 2 Timothy 2.22 says, "'Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace.'" with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, when it talks about youthful lust, it's not not just talking to to young people. In our youth is when all these come to the surface. And it says we're to flee from it. And that word in the Greek for flee means run as hard and as fast as you can. Not just fast, but as hard as you can. You know, you can be running real fast, but if it's like, (laughs) that's not hard. You run as fast as you can, as hard as you can, and you get that pull and you just break through it. Joseph fled out of the house and left his cloak. Why? Because he knew the weakness of the flesh. And so he was fleeing from that temptation. So what I'm closing with is this. This was a tough portion of Scripture. For obvious reasons, I didn't really get into reading all the details. It gives a lot of detail about the topics that I was uh, discussing. But why is it there? Because it's real. Because it's true. And so we have to be willing to do whatever is necessary to avoid these kinds of temptations in order to walk with our God. Because here's the point. In the end, it's all our salvation. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But I'll tell you what. a. am not um, crazy about bumper stickers. I think they're corny. And if you have a bumper sticker, I don't mean yours. But <laughs> but one bumper sticker that I've always liked was this. Don't be caught dead without Jesus. That's true. And so when we read portions like this, God's giving us warning signs. Warning, warning, the bridge is out, warning, warning. And we have to adhere to his warning signs and to find a different route. Father, we come before you in Yeshua's name in Jesus' name and how we thank you, Father, for your word and for the salvation, this free gift that we have. And I pray, Lord, that portions like this, rather than throwing us, would encourage us to surrender more and more and more of our life to you. And, Father, I pray if there's anyone here who has never been born again, this would be the day of their salvation. They would simply cry out to you and say, God, forgive me a sinner, take over my life, And at that point, we have man touching eternity. We have the power of God coming into the the heart of that person who cries out to you, Lord. And Father, if there are those of us here who are saved, are born again, but boy, we've been falling into some deep ditches, I pray, Father, that you'd fill those ditches in and give us the victory to either go around them or to jump over them. And Father, I thank you so much for the fact that you're a patient God, a loving God, And we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fall upon us, that real, true Holy Spirit revival. It wouldn't be a program, it wouldn't be anything we do, but a true Holy Spirit revival would fall upon this little church, I pray in Christ Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, my dear friends.